Welcome to the Catholic Connect Podcast. I'm your host, David Scubin. This is a podcast for all Catholics and people of goodwill who strive to live in the world, but not be of the world. First and foremost, we need to be disciples of Jesus ourselves. And then we go forth and make disciples of all nations, just as our Lord commanded. Through a series of timely topics and great guests, we will take that long and narrow journey to heaven together, encouraging each other in faith and virtue along the way. So let's get started. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. Well, thank you for joining us on this episode of the Catholic Connect podcast, and we're uh, so blessed to be joined again by a priest who has a video blog on YouTube through Grandin Media, and all his sermons are also available on demand through a podcast called The Beggar's Heart. And if you're blessed enough to attend Our Lady of the Angels Parish in Fort Saskatchewan or one of the cluster parishes in our area, he's your parish priest. Father Chris Schmidt, thanks for joining us on the podcast again. How are you? Uh, not too bad. Not too bad. Like everybody else, kind of fed up with the world right now. But God is good, right? God is good. And that's, uh, well, that's why we're doing this, right, Father? To bring some clarity and some charity and uh, and some hope to the world. Because it's, uh, it's always a great day to be a Catholic, I like to say. So, hey, we got some good news in our parish too, right, Father? We've got uh, Our Lady of the Angels is the name of our parish. And we've got some great artwork. Why don't we talk about that really quick? Because not only is it a gift for our parish, but... I think when people see this this piece of art that's coming to our parish, it's something that we can share with the entire diocese. Yeah, I mean, the patron of a parish is always supposed to hold a special place in the devotional life of the parishioners. And we didn't have any image of Our Lady of the Angels in the parish. We have the Our Lady of Guadalupe, and we had a statue of Our Lady um, in the sanctuary, but nothing depicting Our Lady of the Angels um, in the church. And so... I know a local Catholic artist, and I approached her about the possibility of commissioning a piece, having a unique piece of art depicting Our Lady of the Angels for our parish, and she agreed. And it's kind of special because although she's starting to grow in notoriety for her talents, even internationally, uh, this is the biggest piece that she's ever done. Um, and so it's arriving today in the church, and we'll unveil it and bless it tomorrow. And uh, the idea for me came from when they were building the seminary in Edmonton. Um, one of the things from the formation team was they wanted religious art that would inspire the prayer of a generation of priests was in the back of their minds. And so in the back of my mind was art in Our Lady of the Angels that will inspire the devotion of the people of Fort Saskatchewan for generations is the hope. We're missing a lot of that, aren't we, Father? And, and it kind of ties in a little bit to what we're talking about today, and that is, what does living in a state of grace look like? How do we know that we're in a state of grace? And all these things kind of, they all contribute, don't they? When we see a beautiful church, when we see beautiful art, it brings our, our minds and our souls to, to something greater, doesn't it? And even as we're recording this right now, Father, it's the beginning of April, we're just after Easter. I'm looking behind you, you've got a couple beautiful pieces of of artwork behind you. I think one is, well, one is definitely the Blessed Virgin Mary. I believe the other one is, is uh, that's Jesus. I just see Jesus's heart there. There we go. Okay, perfect. So I think these are all, they're such important things. Images mean something, don't they, Father Chris? It's, it's especially good images, holy images. Yeah, I mean, the, we have a very sacramental view of the world as Catholics. And so 
created things have the potential to elevate the mind and the heart to God. And definitely sacred things do. Sacred art does when it's done well, um, has the ability to elevate the mind and the heart closer to God, which is the whole idea behind a sacramental, is that it is a created thing that leads us to an experience of God's grace, of God's presence in our life. Now that uh, ties in nicely with living in a state of grace, I think, and uh, ties into a couple of the conversations we already had on this podcast. So we invite our listeners to double back. The very first episode, Father, that we did was uh, the Catholic understanding of confession. Then episode number seven was what is dispensation from Sunday Mass, and really appreciate all the great comments that we've received from that. Uh, a lot of people said that they've learned a lot, and that is exactly the point of why why we're doing this and why I'm so happy to have Father Chris back. So. Uh, I want to start with a quote from St. Teresa of Avila. Uh, it says, quote, In a state of grace, the soul is like a well of limpid water, from which flow only streams of clearest crystal. Its works are pleasing both to God and man, rising from the river of life, beside which it is rooted like a tree. You know, we've just exited here recently this uh, the renewal season of Lent, and I hope that uh, that sense of renewal sticks with us all year long after Lent as well. But uh, that question comes up, you know, how do we know that we're walking in a, in a state of grace or in friendship with Jesus Christ? So maybe it's uh, probably best to start with the definition itself, Father. What does it mean to live in a state of grace? State of grace basically just means to be in, in communion with God, that we're in right relationship with God, that there's no known kind of impediments, no known things in our life that are preventing our communion, our love of being received from God and being given back to God. And I think there's this, um, there's this term, the thing that takes us away from God, right, Father? And I think it's been kind of lost on this world a lot. And uh, it's, it's, it's a long one, but a uh, long word, but it's called concupiscence. Maybe we need to, to define that word too, because I think it's kind of being lost in our church today. Why, why do we have a tendency to drift away from a relationship to God? But it's important to understand concupiscence and it's, and I guess it's um, uh, the roots of it are the, are the, the beginnings of concupiscence. So concupiscence is basically the, the remnant of original sin. It's the, the inclination of the human heart to lean away from God. So through baptism, we are brought into a state of grace, right? We are brought into communion, into relationship with God as adopted sons and daughters of the father, right? So that's where the state of grace begins for us is in baptism. And in baptism, we are cleansed of original sin. So that original sin that comes from being born into the human reality, that it's not come, doesn't come from choice, but comes from being born into broken human existence, we are cleansed. We are freed from that in our life. However, experience tells us that even though we have received this grace, there is a part of us that still gets kind of drawn back like a slow magnet to things that tend away from God. The biggest one of those being pride of wanting to put ourselves in the place of God in our life. And so concupiscence is kind of the leftover from original sin, not that it is a sin in itself, but it is an inclination that we have to still be drawn back to things that are not of God. 
I guess there's a couple extremes when it comes to, um, uh, you know, confession or the need to go to confession, why people go to confession. But I think it's important, too, that we define you know, what are the conditions that would put our soul out of a state of grace into a state of mortal sin? Because there is a difference between mortal and venial sin, right, Father? And concupiscence does draw us to both of those types of sins. But usually if we start to commit some of those venial sins, they, they start to accumulate and turn into mortal sins. But maybe we can maybe just chat about what are the, the conditions that would put us in a state of mortal sin, which is truly what separates us from the grace that God gives us to live in friendship with him. I don't know if it's as well defined as, as you, as one might hope, right? The, the analogy that I would use is for those that are married, right? State of grace is analogous to being, to loving your wife perfectly and your wife loving you perfectly in return. The difference in our relationship with God is that we always know that God is loving us perfectly. So the only missing piece is us. In a marriage, obviously, you can be on both sides. And so a state of grace is analogous to those moments of perfectly reciprocal love between spouses. How do you know when you are in a state of perfect reciprocal love? You can't really right? You might experience an element of it, but to really know, like intellectually know and understand that you are in that state is pretty much impossible. And it's the same in being in a state of grace with God or out of a state of grace with God. It's not something that has clear parameters and definitions because it's about a relationship which is something that extends beyond just an intellectual understanding of something because it's rooted in love. And so there are things that absolutely can draw us out of a state of grace and almost always mortal sin causes that. So a deliberate act in grave of a grave nature that we are fully aware of. Well, when we do that, yeah, we're taking a, huge step away from God. So how can you be in relationship with God if you've made that conscious decision to move away from him in a grave manner, right? Now, a case where you could be in a state of mortal sin and yet still be considered in a state of grace, meaning primarily in receiving Holy Communion, knowing that the church's teaching is to receive Holy Communion, one has to be in a state of grace. As a confessor, one thing that I do from time to time, depending on the person and the situation, is particularly with sins of habit, when someone is struggling with a vice in their life, I will counsel them at times to go and receive communion, even if objectively that sin is mortal, and then tell them to come to confession as soon as they can but to go make a sincere act of contrition and then go and receive Holy Communion. Because part of what's being in there is, well, going back to the concupiscence and the pride, we can too easily become our own judge as to whether or not we're in a state of grace. And that gets away from the point, right? It's kind of like I get in a state where I I decide whether I'm worthy or not to be with God. 
who are we to, to even think that way? God is the one who decides. And that's where kind of the, the objective help of the church in her teaching and through her priests help guide us through the discernment of, of what the state of our relationship is with God, what the state of grace we have in our life is. I don't know if that made sense. That, no, I think it does. I, I think it's important too, Father, that you, you brought up that uh, that was counseling from you, a, a priest and from other priests and the importance for spiritual direction and being open to spiritual direction and understanding that, you know, in the confessional, the things that the priests are going to tell you, that's coming from Jesus. You know, it's like, it's like the telephone to, to God's ear, right? When we get in that confessional and you get that advice from the priest, from the Holy Spirit, that's where it's coming from. You mentioned, I think it's important that we have priests give counsel, right? And people don't make the rules up for themselves. So maybe we'll start with that small, maybe it's a larger faction of Catholics. But there are some Catholics that believe that, you know, maybe we don't have to go to confession. We, we, can, we can go directly to God. That's our conduit. We can do this at home. We can say sorry to God and, and keep on going. Can we talk maybe, Father, about the importance of having that spiritual direction from a priest um, going into confession and receiving? And, and really, like I said, it's like a telephone, right? The priest is, is that, that telephone to God's ear. And the words that come back from a priest are from the Holy Spirit. How important is that for for people who think that maybe confession isn't very important, at least not confession in front of a priest. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many things that can easily skew our perspective and our understanding of things, right? Our own personality, uh, our life experiences, and then our own understandings of the teachings of the church. Um, these things can all lead us closer to or further away from God. And if that's all that we rely on is our own personality and inclinations that come from that, our own life experiences, good or bad or otherwise, and the way that we understand the church's teaching, there's going to be a pretty heavy probability that we're not going to properly understand God and we're not going to properly understand ourselves and therefore not properly understand what our relationship with him offers and requires from us. And so part of the help in the life of the church are the priests that are there to be the bridge between the two, that have a deeper understanding of the church's teachings of why and how to apply them, that have the objective perspective that can go beyond your own personality inclinations and your own personal history and how that affects your life and trying to see your own life and mirror it back to you objectively so you can understand it differently and then to give that you know far too often people are harsher judges on themselves than than god is on them so the priest then becomes um a source of God's mercy for them. Now, the people that are avoiding confession probably aren't in need of an experience of God's mercy, although some do. Some, some avoid confession because they think their sin is so bad that God can't forgive them, which is one of those things where it's, whoever told you that that was possible? The church has never taught that. So where did that understanding come from? 
right? And then they get stuck in that in themselves and avoid confession for years because of it. Like you said, Father, I think it's so important that we we get in front of a priest and get some of that advice because, like you said, some people, and I know I've been there too. Sometimes you stumble into sin; it's habitual sin, and it's hard to it's hard to get out of. But that shouldn't be um, uh, something that you decide to find yourself saying, I, "You know, I'm stuck in in this sin; I can't seem to get out of it." Uh, but I'm gonna, you know, just keep going to communion. Like you, you can't do that either. If it's a grave matter, you need to be you need to really be in touch with a priest and, and get that counsel, that uh, that wise counsel from the Holy Spirit. Right, Father? I think that's that's important that we don't make those uh, those judgments on ourselves to say, I, this is who I am or this is what I'm going to be. So I'm just going to keep on, you know, participating in communion without first discerning the body and blood of Christ. And I heard this from another speaker here recently, and it made me think a lot. You know, Father, when we go up to communion, mm-hmm. we're actually making a statement that we are living in a state of grace that we are living in friendship with God, right? And like St. Paul says, to discern the body and blood of Christ is back in the in the time, back in the day, the reason he wrote that letter is because people were getting sick and some were even dying, it says, because they were receiving our Lord in the Eucharist unworthily. So uh, yeah, maybe your thoughts on that, uh, discerning the body and blood of Christ, because if we, if we are in a state of grace and we're confident of that, us receiving communion is a visible sign that we are, very kind of making that declaration, if you will. Yeah, I mean, we've we've tended in an opposite extreme from what there was 70, 80 years ago. So 70, 80 years ago, people would almost never go to communion because they felt like they were never in a state of grace um, to be able to receive Holy Communion, which is why there is the prescription in the church that you must receive communion at least once a year. Um, because people were not, because they thought that they were never in a state of grace, unless they walked out of the confessional doors and immediately into the communion line, they figured it was impossible for them to be in a state of grace. That's not helpful either. Now we're on, well, if I'm here, I might as well. Um, and that's equally as damaging. Um, I'm going to pull it up because I'm not going to remember it off by heart when I'm not in mass. Uh, But there's a prayer that priests pray silently at mass just before receiving Holy Communion. Um, And so nobody ever hears it, but here's one, there's two options, but here's, here's one of the options of what he can pray just before elevating the host for the last time, behold the Lamb of God. He prays silently, may the receiving of your body and blood, Lord Jesus Christ, not bring me to judgment and condemnation, but through your loving mercy, be for me protection in mind and body and a healing remedy. So again, kind of going back to the analogy of of husband and wife, you know, take for an extreme example, one spouse that is presently committing adultery and then comes home to their spouse and engages in the marital act with them. It's a lie. They're lying to themselves and they're lying to their spouse when they've just been with another person and then they come come home to be with their spouse. This is an act of, I love you with all of my being, which is not true. And so when you come to Holy Communion, it's a similar act. Jesus, you give yourself to me, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And all you ask of me is that I do likewise. And so 
when we are persisting in a state of mortal sin, we're lying to ourselves. I'm not here to offer myself mind, body, soul, and strength back to Christ, right? Which is why the priest prays that it not bring me into judgment and condemnation, because if my life is a lie from what my action is telling me, well, what follows, and this might sound harsh, but I'm condemning myself. Because if, if I receive Christ, if I receive this real presence of Christ, while knowingly being in a state that is not worthy to receive him, I'm bringing judgment on myself. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Absolutely. Which, uh, which Pope was it, Father? I, I, I remember uh, reading the story about the Pope. I'm just, I, his name escapes me right now, but there was one Pope back in the 20th century that, that was encouraging people to go to communion often, even once a day if you could. But uh, like you said, that was, uh, that was not the norm back 60, 70, 80 years ago. Um, I, and it's funny, I, I recall even going to Europe when I was younger, Father, and, and the, the, the women all sat kind of in the main part of the church, you know, on the main floor, and the guys all sat up in the balcony. And I remember my dad and I, and we were with some of our, our family, but hardly any of the men went to communion. It was actually my dad and I, we almost missed the communion line because we were waiting for all the other fellows to go, and nobody was going. So, you know, I, I, you know, I was only 11 at the time. I never asked the question, but looking back, I remember, I remember that being, I was in Slovakia, but uh, yeah, do you remember the name of that Pope, uh, Father, who, because there was one that kind of made that, that encouraging declaration to say, you can come be in a state of grace, obviously, but, but receive communion more often. I am so bad with this. I'm pretty sure it was one of the piouses, 10th, 11th, or 12th. One of the one of those yeah, guys, guys. They were also the ones. <laughs> they were also the ones that uh, whoever encouraged that in that way was also the one who kind of lowered the age of receiving Holy Communion for the first time in the Roman Rite. Right, right. That's right too. Okay, no, that's good. Yeah, and, and just a quick note on scrupulosity. You know, the one of the most famous, famously scrupulous people was actually Martin Luther, of all people. I was reading about him. You know, he was known to to be on his way to confession all the time insisted whatever penances he got he always did them vigorously and religiously but he would go to confession like every day or two um and not ironic that uh you know one of his i guess attacks on the church was initially indulgences which is uh linked to confession of course as we understand it today in our church so um you know i guess when we talk about confession when i, I know i know when i go to confession i just I have this renewed love for studying scripture and prayer again, Father. And it's not something it's something that I've tried to make more of a focus on in my life with my family, but when you go you just feel this this great renewal. And when I get out of the confessional and it feels like I not that I would hurt anybody, but I couldn't hurt someone if I tried. I get outside the church and it's just like there's a new perspective on life, there's a new perspective on the outside world. So I'm not sure if that makes sense or not, but there is really truly this, this amazing peace and, and, and desire, I guess, for, for charity and, and to share that with other people. Um, you know, is that out of the ordinary? I don't know, Father. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I don't think so. I think that's it's experiencing the fruit of the freedom that comes from a life of grace, right? That freedom to choose the good that comes from being liberated from the burden of our sin. Like our sin is a prison. Right? It prevents us from doing the good that we desire. And so after receiving the grace of absolution, 
you're you're receiving the freedom to choose the good which is why your mind and your heart are all inclined towards those things that you know are good the goal is to stay in that state as long as we can i think there's a lot of fruits uh, the good fruits from people that are living in a friendship with god and i think that um i think you can see that i think it's a visible thing i notice that in the church too you know where where people are walking in, in friendship with God in a state of grace, um, their behaviors change, you know, the way they they talk changes, all for the better. It's it's really outstanding. Um, what does it mean to have a grateful heart, Father? I think that's one of the outward signs of of being in a state of grace as a Catholic is to be thankful. You know, thank Jesus for all that He's done for us, but also just thanking others for for their presence, for what they do for us. But how how important is it for us to you know, I guess it's a part of prayer as well. Sometimes we're always asking God for things, but we're not always grateful for the good things that he gives us, right? Yeah, and I got I got a little pet peeve in, in kind of the expression of that sometimes because it is a very popular kind of notion of expressing gratitude, you know, the attitude of gratitude idea, right? The gratitude that comes from the Christian heart is of being aware of and acknowledging of what has been given. It's not kind of this forced action of, I need to count my blessings. I need to be telling God how thankful I am for everything. It's just this state of awareness of how much God has offered. And that starts in meditating on the Paschal mystery of the suffering, death, and resurrection of our Lord, of being aware of what that gift is to us individually in our Christian life. From that flows gratitude. It's kind of like where you started the podcast with the quote from St. Teresa of Avila, kind of this flowing of waters as this expression of grace. Well, when that grace flows into me that makes me aware of how much God has given, it naturally flows out into this tangible expression of, of gratitude um, back to God. Well, that's, uh, yeah, outstanding. And uh, I, I think a lot of people, you know, we just, sometimes we forget. And sometimes it's good to be reminded, you know, that as we're recording this, we're just coming out of the Easter season. And um, so we've, we've been reading about meditating on the, the passion of our Lord and, of course, this triumphant resurrection and, and how outstanding that is. But that, that gift, that sacrifice, that's present every time we celebrate the mass, right, Father? It's all around the world. Anytime we go to mass at Calvary, doesn't it's not from the past. It's it comes it becomes present, right? That sacrifice and and uh, and coming to mass with that that uh, that grateful heart uh, and appreciating that beautiful sacrifice that Jesus made for us and and uh, yeah, it's so important. You know, I, I know I'm a little bit guilty of this, Father. I, I I'm not always the most joyful Christian. I I like to think that for the most part I am, but um, I think another outward sign, of, you know, a fruit of being in relationship with God is joy and being happy. And we look outside our world today, Father, and, uh, you know, that's why I try not to read the media too much. It's uh, it, it can be a little bit, not a little bit, quite a bit depressing and uh, and sad and can evoke feelings of anger and frustration and, and a lot of helplessness, too. But. When you have a relationship with God, isn't that our calling as Catholics? Is that um, when we are living in a state of grace and friendship with our Lord, we should be exuding a lot of joy. And, and this should be a time that us Catholics, we can be an example to the rest of the world. What are your thoughts on that? 
I think you're being a good son of Pope Francis in, in stating that um, with his first encyclical on the joy of the gospel. And there's a, there's a quote from, from that encyclical that I use often at funerals. Um, and I'll just kind of paraphrase it for you. Basically, it says that joy doesn't express itself the same way at all times in life. It adapts and changes because there are people who go through times of great difficulty. But what we need to do is to let the firm and quiet trust of knowing that we are infinitely loved revive in our hearts. And that is Christian joy. The problem, end quote, the, the problem that we fall into sometimes is equating joy with happiness. Happiness is an emotion. Sometimes I'm happy, sometimes I'm not. Just because I'm not happy doesn't mean I'm not joyful. Joy is tied to hope, which is tied to love, which is what Pope Francis points to. It's knowing that we are infinitely loved, the hope that flows from that, that's what gives us this firm sense of joy in the Christian life. Meaning that despair doesn't have power over us, that the afflictions of this life do not rob us of the hope that comes in Jesus Christ, nor does it take away our assurance of his love for us. That's the firm joy of the Christian. Equating it with happiness is problematic because emotions come and go. It's something more profound and deeper that drives us forward in this assurance of the promises that are given by God. Happiness can be really fleeting, can't it? I mean, uh, the feeling of happy. It's like, well, what's the definition of that? I think that I think you broke it down real well there, Father, uh, for sure. There was a there was a quote, and I think, and when you when you mentioned happiness and joy and the, and the difference there, I think Saint Giannamola was going down the route of talking about joy here. But her quote was, "The secret of happiness is to live moment by moment, and to thank God for all that He, in His goodness, sends to us day after day." I could see that as more like um, from what uh, which is, is to have that grateful heart, but that that joyful heart as well, right? That doesn't change from day to day. Our happiness isn't judged by, you know, the the amount of crosses that we get in our lives every day. If we get less or more, does that make us less happy, more happy? You know, joy is something totally different, right? And uh, I, I like how you break that down, Father. You know, in this time of uh, of this virus, which is um, really frustrating a lot of people in Alberta, we have a lot of listeners too, Father, which is such a blessing that live outside of Alberta and even from some other provinces in Canada that they haven't been able to go to Mass for a long time. And uh, so in Alberta, um, yeah, let's just call it for what it is. I'm very grateful, I'm very happy, and I'm very joyful that we can go to, to Mass um, pretty much as often as we want still. But what do you say and what do we do as Catholics, I guess, here in Alberta? We're blessed that we can go, certainly not to the, the level that we'd like to yet. But, you know, evangelization doesn't end just because people are in isolation. Because the devil's not in isolation, is he, Father? What are some things that we can do to, to reach out to not only our, our fellow brothers and sisters in our, our Catholic Church, but the people that aren't Catholics, but they're, they're looking to us for an example of joy and an example of how to live our lives with joy and friendship with Christ in this time of the virus. 
Well, I think the devil is in isolation. He's in isolation with each one of us. Start with your own home, your own family. That's where it starts. How are you living as a family through this, this isolation? Because that's the place where everything begins and ends. And your life as a family um, is the first gift of evangelization, is the joy of the Christian family. Next, stop being a stupid Christian on social media. Uh, getting into the arguments over the different things like there's there's no need. I, I uh, Father Raniero Cantalamessa, the the preacher for the papal household, preached on Good Friday. And I just saw one quote pulled out from his homily on Good Friday, and he said, "The division in the church has never been over theology, dogma, practices of the church." or anything like that. It has always been over ideologies that have become deeply rooted in the Christian mind that cause division. And we cannot think that we are immune to the ideologies of the world around us as Christians. And so not to get sucked into that, especially online, because we're, we're doing anti-evangelizations as Christians online far too often. Um, we're not properly portraying the gospel because we're getting tied up in ideological arguments. So that's just one of my personal pet peeves. Especially, especially in the, the, the political side, right? Well, there. that's definitely, <laughs> definitely where ideology is strongest is in the political sphere. Uh, then just, and it's hard. I know I, I struggle with it. You know, when we're, I told a friend like a couple months ago, it's like, we haven't seen each other in this long. And what scares me the most is I'm getting comfortable with the idea, reaching out even just with a phone call to people in your life that you haven't seen in a long time. Um, that is Christian charity. Um, and it's not easy to do, especially with the amount of time that we've spent in isolation. It's easier just to kind of let memories of people fade. Um, it's it's a real act of charity to reach out to those people. Well, and and the Saint Augustine infamously said, "Sin darkens the intellect," and uh, you know uh, the devil, like you said, that that does make sense, Father. He's devil's in isolation with us, right? And that's where he comes for us to to make us feel like we're alone too. And uh, but if we're not in a state of grace and not walking with in friendship with God, we're going to start following some erroneous uh, ideologies and uh, and even the way we approach other people. You know. Our, our brothers and sisters uh, that maybe are, are separated from the church, but or even even our fellow Catholics as well, uh, the amount of charity that we deal with them can be uh, can be greatly hindered if we're not going to confession regularly. So, um, yeah, I, I just want to make sure I encourage people too. And Father, I I just am so appreciative of yourself and Father Dan is our other priest at our parish. And not to brag about you guys, but I think it's important to to acknowledge the, the good things that happen, you know and and if we have some priests that listen to, you know, Father Chris and Father Dan are always available for confession for us. Uh, there's set times. And then if you really need to go sooner, you just make an appointment. And it's it's such a blessing. It's so important that we have that. And uh, I know that that helps me so much in my spiritual walk and our family and so many of our parishioners. So, Father Chris, thanks for the the example that you are. And uh, and for you, Father Dan, all, all priests that are that are taking taking things seriously when it comes to saving souls. It's an important time 
in our world to, to be focused on that. Um, just a reminder for people, Father, maybe just tell us where we're, we obviously we have you at our parish all the time, which is outstanding, but for our listeners from outside of our parish and outside of our province, they can listen to you where? I post my weekly homilies um, on iTunes podcasts, uh, Beggar's Heart. You can find it on SoundCloud as well. A few other platforms, but I never go to those, so I don't know what those platforms are. Um, and then occasionally we're kind of a little bit on a hiatus right now, but occasionally put a, out some some videos through Grand and Media that are available on YouTube. Um, it's just vlogs kind of using sports as a way of speaking about the word of God. No, that's outstanding. Yeah, there's lots of good stuff in the archives there, Father, and I'm sure you guys will be coming up with some new stuff here soon as well. So that's great. Thank you. Well, before we, we depart, do you mind giving us your, your priestly blessing, Father, please? Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. The Lord be with you. And may Almighty God bless you and your families, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father Chris, it's been a, a pleasure as always. Thanks for uh, what you're doing and uh, for your priestly vocation, and uh, we'll be in touch. Thank you again. I wanted to include this little excerpt from the Catechism of the Catholic Church here from paragraph 1996. Our justification comes from the grace of God. Grace is favor, the free and undeserved help of, that God gives us to respond to his call to become children of God, adoptive sons, partakers of the divine nature and of eternal life, end quote. So I want to say another big thanks to Father Chris for joining us and a lot of great insights there. I learned a lot from that conversation. I hope you did as well. I'll be posting the links to his podcast, A Beggar's Heart, and also the vlogs that he does through Granted Media on YouTube. And a reminder, everyone, that we're on Facebook and Twitter as well. Say hi anytime. Love hearing from you. Love your feedback. Keep on praying for me. I'm praying for all of the listeners. And again, I just uh, really appreciate you listening to this podcast and uh, making it uh, a journey, not only for yourself, but also uh, joining my journey as well of faith. It's uh, really appreciated. And again, it's great to journey together with you. And a reminder, Catholics, you know the drill. You know you got to go to confession at least three times every year, every Advent, every Lent, and any time you're in a state of mortal sin. Don't even spend a second of your life there. Thanks for listening, everyone. God bless. We'll chat with you very soon.